When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. World Wrestling Federation Champion, Sergeant Slaughter versus the Immortal Hulk I love the Sergeant Slaughter, like just the snarl off the top of the WrestleMania 7 intro. This is WrestleMania Rewind with Phil Mackey and Declan Goff. We have taken this this series that was once part of Score North Live, thanks to our friend Rami Makloff. We have adopted it on the Mackey and Judd podcast feed, and we are going to do deep dives into every WrestleMania all the way through the one that just happened. We already did that we one, did that so one. I guess all the way through the 2019 WrestleMania. WrestleMania 7, Declan Goff. A quick summary. This was a three-match card, really, historically. Mm-hmm. You had a bunch of other interesting and fun sort of undercard peripheral matches, but this WrestleMania from 1991, inside of what was originally going to be the uh, the Los Angeles Coliseum, they were going to put 100,000 people inside, well, inside an outdoor stadium. And instead, because Vince McMahon was panicking over major attendance issues, they only had about 20,000 fans or so uh, ready to rock and roll. They moved it to the Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena for this indoor festivity on March 24th, 1991. This was the debut of The Undertaker. This was the Warrior versus Savage retirement match. And it was Hulk Hogan representing the good old United States of America against traitor and enemy Sergeant Slaughter. So before we go up and slice and dice this WrestleMania, what was your favorite part about WrestleMania 7, Declan? I loved the crowd. I think the crowd was awesome for it. A good yeah, move, dude. good on them to, to move it to an arena that would work best for the card. And the crowd is raucous the whole start. And... What I really enjoyed, too, for the first time was the pace of this mania. There is one road hiccup, which I'm sure we'll get into our least favorite part, but the match, the, the card starts with the Rockers leading things off, which is great, against uh, the Barbarian and Haku. And then there's the Texas Tornado and Dino Bravo, and then even British Bulldog gets involved. I actually, I think, usually these things are such a slow burn. I was actually pretty captivated those first three times. I'm a little biased because I love Shawn Michaels and British Bulldog, is also one of my favorites. By the way, 
18 years ago today, as we record this, the British Bulldog passed away, wow. too. Wow. So WWE just pointed that out when I just saw wow. an hour before we started recording. It's amazing. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, I really liked the pace of it, and I think the peak of, yeah, the three-match three card, which you, which you introduced, all those matches were great. All, uh, and they're so great in their own unique ways. And I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more, but I, I thought the pace of this and the overall buildup was one of the better ones we've seen so far. Yeah. So this was, I think, originally after WrestleMania six, which, by the way, you'll see here. I'll hold this up. It's a great, great visual for the listening audience. But uh, my wife, my wife, got me a WrestleMania oh, wow. six T-shirt over the weekend. She found this on a website: Ultimate Warrior versus Hulk Hogan, the Ultimate Challenge. So I will be wearing this every day the rest yes. of my life now. Yeah, just in case you're wondering, I'll be like a cartoon you're, character. You're just four months into your wedding and going <laughs> to renew your vows already. Exactly yeah. in this shirt. In this shirt, it'll it'll be amazing. Um, but I think the I think the match that was supposed to headline this was a rematch between Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan. But then various things happened throughout 1990 and early 1991 including the fact that Ultimate Warrior is a huge pain in the ass behind the scenes, and they just didn't really feel comfortable keeping the belt on him. Uh, the United States had entered a war in the Middle East, Desert Storm, and Saddam Hussein was enemy number one across the world. And so Vince McMahon thought, all right, let's bring Sergeant Slaughter back from AWA. Let's sign him from... So Sergeant Slaughter uh, has lived many years in Minnesota, was a property of Vern Gagne's AWA. Yep. As mostly a flag-waving United States soldier character, right? He was like a real-life G.I. Joe wrestler throughout the 80s. And Vince McMahon brings him over and somehow concocts the story that, like, an American soldier, Sergeant Slaughter, decides to turn his back on his own country. They bring in a sidekick that looks exactly like Saddam Hussein. Exactly like him. They bring in, at one point, the Iron Sheik to be part of the stable as well, and they do... The, the tried and true and trusted storyline that worked every single time in that era of wrestling, which is the United States and a hero from the United States against a bad guy from another country, right? Or a traitor like Sergeant Slaughter. So that was the, the overarching storyline that, uh, that they wound up going with here. My favorite part about this WrestleMania, WrestleMania 7, was honestly the tear-jerking ending to the retirement match between yeah. Ultimate Warrior and Randy Savage. I watched that again this morning, and it's probably like the 20th time I've seen that match. I get misty-eyed every single time Miss Elizabeth comes running out from the crowd, takes care of Queen Sherry, Macho Man is confused and doesn't know who was trying to kick him while he was down after losing this retirement match, and then the way that they played into the whole... Like it had been two years since they were together on camera, but they had married for many, many years. And the funny thing is, uh, and and we'll get to some of our notes from loyal listener Mike McGivern. They actually got divorced a year later in real life, so like their marriage was on the rocks and was in turmoil. But on camera, they were having this big reunion, and they wind up getting married at SummerSlam later on <laughs> that year. But I think the fact that you had at the end of that match, Macho Man Randy Savage turns face, turns into a good guy for the first time in like two or three years, it's one of the great face turns in wrestling history where a guy comes in as this just hated, reviled bad guy, and by the end of the night or the end of the match, the crowd's going nuts for him. The only comparable I would put on that level, and there's probably other ones that people could email us about or tweet us about, when Stone Cold Steve Austin 
passed out from bleeding at WrestleMania 13, which we'll get to at some oh, point. I'm so excited. He comes in as the bad guy. He's a heel and totally different mechanism for getting the crowd on your side. But by that, by the end of that match with Stone Cold Steve Austin, because he never tapped out, he just bled out and then passed out and the match was over. The crowd had such a respect for his character and for what happened in that match that he went from good guy, from bad guy to good guy all in one night. Yeah. But like it's, it's, it was just like amazing early '90s wrestling storytelling for for Miss Elizabeth to run in the ring, and I would say that was pretty easily for me the best part of WrestleMania. Yeah, so. just seeing everyone crying in the stands. I mean, they were showing right. people weeping, like openly <laughs> weeping. And I'm sure if like yeah, you grew up with it, so you probably had a connection to it better than I did. I didn't. I didn't really get emotional, and I even even when stage things in wrestling turn into real life stuff. I don't think I, I mean, like Eddie Guerrero's death is probably the only one that like maybe probably made me cry just because I was a kid and I understood the gravity of that. But in terms of like emotional sends offs or when, when wrestlers do indeed retire, I don't think I've ever really gotten truly emotional. Like, oh man, that kind of stinks, but whatever it's, it's wrestling. They'll be fine. And, and hopefully they're take, they take care of themselves. But I thought it was so interesting how Macho Man and Randy's and, and Miss Elizabeth basically got this emotional euphoria from the crowd that you don't see. I mean, it's supposed to yeah. be all about bashing skulls and good guy, bad guy. There should be no, to quote, you know, Tom Hanks, there's no crying in baseball. There's really no crying in wrestling. But at this, at this point, it was like acceptable to be like, man, this is freaking cool. Okay. Since we're on the subject off the top of your head, what are like, what's, what are the times that wrestling made you get emotional? So for sure, Eddie Guerrero, when he died, which also took place here, or he passed away in Minneapolis. Um, yeah. trying to think of possible other ones. I'll give you a few. Yeah, you give a few, and I'll try to think on so it. So this is one for sure: the Macho Man, Miss Elizabeth, and some of it is like you know, I I did grow up. The first live wrestling match I ever went to was at Target Center for a house show, and it was Randy Savage versus Ric Flair. It was like a year or two after this. So Randy Savage was always like one of my guys growing up, even if he was a bad guy. Like he was, he was there. One of the one of the main characters and I was watching wrestling. And Miss Elizabeth was like, you know, the first lady of wrestling. So nostalgia, storyline, it all comes together. A few other ones that come to mind. When The Rock made his return after a seven or eight year hiatus on Monday Night Raw, and he came back to be the host of WrestleMania. I didn't like heave cry or anything, but I got misty because it was like <laughs> I didn't see it coming. Right. That was sweet. Ring announcer guy gets in the ring and says it's time to announce the special guest host of WrestleMania, whatever, 26. And then the lights go out and there's like some dramatic music. And you're thinking, all right, well, they wouldn't be going to this length if it was like Stone Cold or someone who was making regular appearances. Hulk Hogan's already done this. And then you start thinking like, okay, who are like the big names that, wait, no, there's no way. And all of a sudden... If you smell yeah, that the pop. rock and the crowd just goes ridiculous and bonkers. Um, that was one of them for sure. I don't think I got teary eyed for this, but I got this was just pure excitement. And it was recent. It was in 2017. Um, I love Jeff Hardy and yeah, the Hardy boys. Yeah. And I had heard rumblings through the Internet rumors that like they probably are coming back for this. This WrestleMania yes. tag team. Oh, my God. And. My buddies and my, my my best friend too, who I watched wrestling growing up. He we have such polar opposite favorite wrestlers. I love Shawn Michaels and Jeff Hardy and high flyers that kind of take butt kickings, but then always rally to the end. And he's like, I like Triple H and Kurt Angle and just big bruisers that actually are good wrestlers. 
I am more on the uh, uh, on the mindset of I just want to see a good performance. And if it's a if you're basing your assumption on wins in a fixed match, like come on, like you gotta be a little bit more creative than that. But I'd heard rumblings that the Hardys were coming back, and I was like, you know, I bet they're gonna I bet they're gonna be involved somehow. And they start that, and it's the kickoff with the money in the bank or the or the tag team champs are on the yeah. line, and the new day comes out and says. We have a new tag team to announce this match. I, I See, am now. It's funny because I had not seen the dirt sheets and yeah. I thought, oh, they're going to like put themselves in the match. That's yeah. crazy. And now I'm like on the edge of my seat being like, oh, my God, it's actually going to happen. Like this is actually going to happen. And then same thing. And there's a little bit of a buildup and that Hardy Boy music hits. And I just like jumped out of yeah. my chair <laughs> in pure excitement, just like, oh, my God, the Hardy. And Dude, my, like, there's no oh. other sport that gives you that reaction. That yeah. it's, it's and it, it happens at the Royal Rumble once in a while. It happens at WrestleMania. Um, I was in the arena when Brock Lesnar made his return in Miami, Florida, the night after WrestleMania oh, wow. in 2012. So I was covering Twin Spring Training for 1500 ESPN, and I bought on StubHub the early days of StubHub. Yeah, I bought a solo ticket. To see WrestleMania because I like none of the beat writers down there. I, I asked all the beat writers who wants to who wants to go with me. A little two and a half hour trip across the state to go see WrestleMania. Let's do it. Everyone's like, "You're a nerd. There's no <laughs> chance. Not going to ride in a car alone with you uh, across the state of Florida." So I bought a ticket online, paid like 150 bucks. I was like, "Screw it. I've never been to a WrestleMania. Yeah. It's two hours away." The pre-show and everything was like six hours. So I yeah. went there. I was there for six hours. You know, I talked to the people in and around me and stuff like other wrestling nerds is great. So I get back home to my hotel or condo, whatever I was staying at in Fort Myers, Florida. My mom, rest her soul. My mom worked for a law firm that represented various like I can't I don't want to like disclose too much, but had some ties to various things in the wrestling industry. And she never, ever, ever like broke code or anything. And this one time she said. Hey, I like legally cannot say anything, but you should go to Monday Night Raw. You're already down there in Miami. Like you, you should go to Monday Night Raw. And I was like, I, I literally just drove to Miami last night for WrestleMania. Drove back, oh and then God. like, am I going to do it again? And I'm like, get done with my show and go, you know, drive across the state. I said, all right, I trust you. I'll do this. So I bought a ticket, another solo ticket. Drove my ass back to Miami <laughs> for Monday Night Raw alone. Bought an upper deck ticket straight on from the ramp. Yeah. And waited the whole episode, like was waiting to see like what would happen, what would happen. And sure enough, like John Cena comes out to the ring, starts getting booed by the crowd and Brock Lesnar's music hits for the first time in like, I think it was like seven or eight years. Yeah, he'd been gone for a while. Something like that. And I've never heard the roof blow off of a building like that ever. Like mm-hmm. maybe the Greg Jennings catch, but it was just like. If you hadn't been reading the dirt sheets, it was like it's impossible to not get at least somewhat emotional when right. that happens. Exactly. The other one I'll give you, wrestling making me emotional, Ric Flair's retirement match against Shawn Michaels when at WrestleMania. Oh, yeah. When Shawn Michaels, when Ric Flair gets up and he's just bawling his eyes out because he knows like this is the final spot and the match is going to be over. Like the match wasn't over yet, but he knew the match was going to be over and he gets up and he's just crying. And Shawn Michaels from the corner, sweet chin music goes. I'm sorry. I love like I'm sorry. I love, I love you. you. Super oh. kicks his teeth in and then pins him, and they're both bawling. Yeah, just like oh my god. Yeah. So, it, anyways, it, 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 we, Macho yeah. and Miss Elizabeth. Yeah. yeah. Good job. <laughs> Got a whole rabbit hole right there of wrestling crying. But I know what you mean. It was 
it, it, it was rare for that time, I feel like, too. It was, But it was super cool to see. Yes. So, all right. Other things of note we have to get to here. Let's get to the other. This is like There's a bunch of other great stuff on this card, but let's start with the other two main things that happened. The debut of The Undertaker. I also want to actually know before we get there, just to circle back on that Warrior versus Savage match, outside of the storyline, considering Ultimate Warrior was mostly just like a righted up idiot in the ring, and he was one of my favorites, this turned out to be a really good match itself. Oh, phenomenal. You had like, it was very rare in that era that guys would kick out of each other's finishers. Now, like every WrestleMania championship match, there's like nine finisher kickouts mm-hmm. and it's just jumped the shark. But you had Macho Man Randy Savage delivering five straight <laughs> elbow drops from the top rope. Ultimate Warrior kicks out. And then Macho kicks out of Warrior's splash finisher. So then we had Warrior talking to his hands for like five minutes, trying to like talk to the gods or whatever. Oh. And finally, a few flying. The ending was a little bit anticlimactic. You had a few flying shoulders into Macho Man and then a very disrespectful foot on the chest pin. Yeah. To finish off the match. Like it's a very ultimate warrior, like disrespectful finish. But um, I just said to add, I, th- I thought in addition to the storyline, it was just a great, great match in itself. But Undertaker's debut. 1991. Uh, he to this day, is still wrestling in WrestleManias. What did you think of The Undertaker making his debut in 1991? He is so... You know when they always say, Jim Ross or whoever's commentating, like, oh, here comes old-school Undertaker, typical old-school Undertaker with all of his moves. And it's... I now understand it because he's a spry young man, essentially, and in that area, this is 25, 30 years ago now, and you see him do the things that you haven't seen someone of that size do. And when he comes out to the ring, and I and thankfully that documentary, The Last Ride, just came out too, that I, I saw the part one of it, the fear and the actual aura of that character, there is not anyone who did it better than that. Hulk Hogan being America's hero and, you know, take your vitamins and say your prayers, like, yeah, it was relatable, but in terms of a pure gimmick, and I like, and, and the, the word gimmick sounds, you know, like kind of offensive, but they harness the Undertaker's idea and an aura so well genius that the crap like there's kids like afraid and like are on the verge of tears yeah and then everyone's just kind of more freaked out because he's this weird looking guy with makeup on and and like is he really dead or is he human and then he's flying across the ring and he's doing not just like powerful big guy things but things acrobatically like Shawn michaels and jeff hardy's of the world are always able to do and he's able to do it and make it look even better yeah like so, his methodical approach, like he just took this very deliberate, methodical, creepy approach. And then all of a sudden, just like, boom, he's walking on the top rope or yeah. he's jumping over the top rope at somebody. Super fun to watch. So like he's, you know, he starts off and he's striking and, you know, we all know Undertaker's a striker. So he, he's he's a good puncher. But then, yeah, he gets on the ropes a little bit. He can choke slam you. He can fly off the top rope, too. He can base. I think people really underestimate and sell short the ability of the Undertaker. Because they just they know that the streak and they know the aura, but like honest to God, he is one of the most purest, best all around wrestlers of all time. So he beats Jimmy Snuka in like four minutes, gives him the Tombstone pile driver, and uh, this was right in the middle of the card, right after the blindfold match, which Ugh. we'll get to. But um, the thing, like as I think back, this was the start of the streak, right? This was the start of his twenty and zero WrestleMania record that went over the course of two decades, and throughout that period, and even in the what five matches or so that he's wrestled post streak. It is amazing to think that he was the dominant force and the steady force of the nineties, two thousands and 2010s in a lot of ways. 
And yet, he never wrestled Hulk Hogan at a WrestleMania. They did have a feud at like SummerSlam or Survivor Series at one point. He never never wrestled Randy Savage at a WrestleMania. Never wrestled Steve Austin or The Rock at WrestleMania. So it's almost like I almost feel like, and he only had like three title matches at WrestleMania too. Maybe yeah, not four. a lot. It's not like, a lot. So it, it's almost like him as a character. And then the streak as a storyline were good enough on their own in the minds of Vince McMahon and the other writers and, and creative that they, and maybe some of it was timing, like the whole Hogan thing, maybe because Hogan was on his way out. But then Hogan came back in the early 2000s and they decided on, on a, a match against The Rock at WrestleMania 17. But I just, it's just amazing to me that that dude has been, that dude has wrestled in like 25 WrestleMania matches, but never against Hogan, never against Savage. Never against Warrior, even though they kind of missed each other. Never against Austin, never against The Rock. And that's why I like respect performance more than I do championship belt accolades, right? Like like uh, Triple H is a 13-time champion. Edge is like a 10-time champion. Randy Orton, same story. Undertaker is won maybe five championships in his reign. Shawn Michaels, same thing. It was never about the fixed outcome of how many accolades you have. It was... What do you do when you're in the ring? And guys like The Undertaker, you could put him at WrestleMania, not call it a championship match, and you knew that's probably going to be our best match. Yeah. And when we look back at it, we're probably going to be like, that one was the best. I can't wait. And I've, I've already, I've been to probably through, two or three times a year. Taker versus Kurt Angle, or uh, excuse me, Shawn Michaels versus Kurt Angle at WrestleMania 21. Yeah. One of the best matches of all time. So like you you put in performers like that, and that's where... WrestleMania can really stand out. It's not just the championship lore because that that that's like a rhetorical. We know how that's going to end. But with guys like the Undertaker, his aura and his style of wrestling was what you really were looking forward to. Yeah, dude, he's he's just an attraction, man. Like, and I and now that they've got this documentary, The Last Ride, running on WWE Network as we do this episode, and I'm halfway through episode two of that. It's the way how how seriously he takes his craft. And just how much he puts in work-wise behind the scenes just to get ready for, like, his one match a year even. Hip replacement surgeries, and it's just incredible. And then to see the respect that everyone has for him. And so this was the debut of The Undertaker's WrestleMania streak. He had made his debut at Survivor Series in the the actual WWF, uh, like his actual WWF debut a few months earlier. But And then the, the third big match, obviously, Hulk Hogan versus Sergeant Slaughter. Actually, not a terrible match. They gave these guys 20 minutes to go at it in yeah. this one, and considering that they both got 20 minutes, and then you know, neither of these dudes could really move a lick at all by that point in their careers. Um, it was it was pretty compelling. You had Hulk Hogan getting busted open late in the match. You had chair shots and the big vintage Hogan comeback at the end. It was a very formulaic approach. Like there was no way. There was no way the bad guy was going to go over in that arena. And I and I do wonder, like, alternate reality, what would have happened if oh you God. built up this whole pay-per-view, the American flag stuff all around the arena, and if you ended that WrestleMania with Sergeant Slaughter going over and, like, burning a flag or something, like, what would have happened inside that arena? And I believe Michael McGivern pointed out that they took a lot of flack for that storyline, right? Like, they lost investors. Yeah. They lost sponsors. Yeah. In fact, let's read from... We get an email every week from our wrestling-loving, loyal listener friend, Michael McGivern, and he lays out all these notes. He is He's our resident Mackie and Judd wrestling historian, and I'm just going to read from his notes here. After advertising that WrestleMania 7 would be at the L.A. Memorial Coliseum in front of 100,000 fans, 
Plans shifted to Sergeant Slaughter defending the title against Hulk Hogan. Slaughter was paired with AWA legend Sheik Adnan Al Kaisai. Kaisai, I can't remember his last name. Uh, who looked a lot like Saddam Hussein and had the Iron Sheik by his side as well. It's kind of funny considering Sheik is Iranian and they didn't get along with the Iraqis, but hey, this is the WWF, so who really cares about keeping it real? It's also crucial to know that Vince McMahon was under a federal investigation looking into whether he distributed steroids. Hence, there was a lot of scrutiny towards the company as well as a lot of criticism over a feud centered around Operation Desert Storm with Sergeant Slaughter lighting a Hulk Hogan t-shirt ablaze in the lead-up to this. McMahon originally wanted to burn the American flag to really get heat, but they decided that that probably wasn't the best idea. This angle cost them advertisers, didn't sell tickets, and the product itself was stale at the beginning of the new decade. Uh, When they hadn't sold 20,000 tickets, let alone 100,000, the show was moved across the street to L.A. Sports Arena. Of course, McMahon had the gall to come up with the lie that this was moved to the arena. This was moved to the arena for security reasons since there had been terroristic threats toward the fans, and also Slaughter had received death threats. To this day, Sergeant Slaughter still maintains that Vince McMahon was telling the truth. So that's kind of the story as to how they went from big plans for a huge arena into the Sergeant Slaughter story into, all right, we'll settle for this. But like you said earlier, Declan, the atmosphere was still amazing for this WrestleMania. And Hogan got like his ass kicked for 99% of this match. I mean, and I know that's kind of typical Hogan, but he got beat up for a good chunk of it and even when yeah, he gets, they made him work for this one and I, i'm also curious you know i know most of the times they bleed it's fake this was one of the instances where it was like did hogan get like legitimately cut because that actually looks like real blood yeah how me. did how did he he didn't hit the post what, right what was his it, i don't know how he like a like, punch to the eye or he got something cut like right above his left eyebrow and i remember looking i'm like i don't think that's fake or if it's staged like that looks like some real blood yeah ordinarily you'd cut yourself higher up on the forehead right but and i, I think know. i think he got legitimately cut and so like and even added more to the american persona right like this guy who rises up and kicks iraq's butt at the last minute with blood all over his face and the american flag in his hand so exactly it it's was very symbolic very yeah. symbolic super right, wh- symbolic. what were some other things that stood out to you in this one i love the british bulldog lead up i love that his literally act was having a bulldog with him. And I believe that one was Winston. We heard what happened to Matilda in a horrible story. I believe in our last one we did with Rami on score North live. I love that the, he has the bulldog build up and I'm, yeah, I'm just a big Davy boy Smith guy. I think he, he was really uh, a captivating wrestler. So I was excited to see him watch. And I believe after going down a Wikipedia wormhole after that match, I believe he, this is, that was his last mania for a good five, six years before he comes back the second or third time. Um, but I liked I like seeing the guys that I started to gravitate towards. So this and now it's starting to open it up. Like the Rockers have been involved for a couple of years, and I believe they'll be split up by the next WrestleMania. Yep. But British Bulldog, who I always admired, Undertaker's involved. I don't know if like triple when Triple H makes his WrestleMania debut, but I gotta imagine we're getting uh, close um, to it. WrestleMania twelve, 12? or thirteen, I want to say. Okay. So yeah. and yeah, I actually his debut was against the Ultimate Warrior WrestleMania. Okay. Yeah, twelve, I think. So I want to ask. I, I, I want to see more guys like that and and more compelling storylines. But I, I think overall, what I just really enjoyed again was the pace. the The pace of this one was so much better than the previous ones, and that's usually what puts me to sleep on these match on these on these WrestleManias. Is like I know the two or three match cards that I need to really pay attention to, and, and you you know there's some you can just buzz off. But I was actually really captivated up until 
that worst part of the Jake the Snake match with the blindfold. Yeah. Just so, why? So that let, let's get into least favorite parts here. That's your least favorite part Easily. about WrestleMania 7. Easily. It was uh, it was eight minutes and thirty four seconds, which is about seven minutes longer than it probably needed to be, and they yeah. very clearly could see each other through the blindfolds. <laughs> just, I just don't know. I when you have when you have like Rick Martel's a good wrestler, Jake Roberts is a good wrestler. Just give those guys an actual eight minute match, right? Just give them an eight minute match. They're both like they're both well known. I don't think you need the gimmick for that match. Just I don't think there's been a blindfold match since. And if you wanted some sort of stipulation, all right, whoever wins the match gets to spray the other guy in the eyes with arrogance or whatever, whatever it was. So I thought that was ridiculous. Um, other things of note, this was the WrestleMania debut for the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom, yeah. Hawk and Animal. Had uh, an easy victory over power and glory, Hercules and Paul Roma. And you also had an Intercontinental Championship match between Mr. Perfect and the Big Boss Man. That was a great illustration of how screwed Mr. Perfect got in his like five-year WWF career. Right. That guy was one of the best workers and promo cutters on the planet. And I think if he came along even 10 years later, for sure 15 years later, AJ Styles, he's about the same size as an AJ Styles or a Seth Rollins. He can move around. Like, yeah. Those guys get the championship belt all the time in 2010, 15, 20. Guys who look like that, like Randy Savage kind of broke through as a high-flyer mobile guy. But if you were high flyer, like worker guy, you just really didn't get the belt in the late 80s, early 90s. Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels broke that mold in the mid 90s. But Mr. Perfect had uh, have sort of peaked by, by he that. He was point. really like diet Kurt Angle. He was he reminds, yeah. his style reminds me a lot of Kurt Angle on the mic and in the ring. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you're right that he kind of gets sold short there. And he's a Minnesota native, too, isn't Kurt yep. Henning? He was from Minnesota and I believe is also no longer with us. I think Correct. he also passed away. Yep. And I remember, too, when I was binging down a Royal Rumble thing. And I, and I know we've kicked around the idea of doing other papers, which I'm sure we'll get into. But when Henning comes back in 2002, he's like the second runner up in the 2002 Royal Rumble. Like he makes a, he's one of those surprise ads. And then he's actually like in the final three. Yeah, I mean, of he the was mobile still, match. He, he was like people forget like that dude was was one of the biggest stars on the planet. But just like that. You didn't have Monday Night Raw at that point yet. You didn't have as many championships. They just they weren't changing titles as often because they didn't have as much content to fill. And so guys like that just kind of got left out. Big Boss Man, kind of the same thing. He came back in the Attitude Era and was just mostly a henchman. But um, the other thing that stood out to me, this was the, also the debut of the Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich, in a WrestleMania. Yeah. And it's noteworthy. The so the Von Erich family is one of the most legendary families in wrestling history, but just filled with tragedy. You can just like do a deep dive on Wikipedia. What I didn't really know until much later on. I'm going to read this from from Kerry Von Erich's Wikipedia page, and you can see it once you watch this match back. He's wrestling with a prosthetic foot. He only has one foot. Oh, Get this, okay? On June 4th, 1986, Kerry Von Erich was in a motorcycle accident that nearly ended his life. He suffered a dislocated hip and a badly injured right leg. Doctors were unable to save his right foot, eventually amputating it. According to his brother Kevin, Kerry suffered the injury. Uh, I'm sorry. Kerry injured the foot following surgery by attempting to walk on it prematurely, thus forcing doctors to amputate it. He continued wrestling after the accident and a pros, uh, with a prosthetic foot and kept the amputation secret to the majority of fans and fellow wrestlers, even going to the extreme of showering with his boots on. His amputation was kept secret from the public till after his death in like 1993. I believe he killed himself like a year or two after this WrestleMania. 
However, Roddy Piper stated in his autobiography, quote, we were the best of friends. In fact, he felt comfortable enough to sit with me in a hotel and shoot the breeze with his prosthetic off, end quote. So as you watch this match back, just know that Kerry Von Erich was doing it with one foot. That's and you can amazing. totally see like he hobbles around a little bit and he's huh. not running full speed. It's sort of weird to watch when you know that. But that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I, I there is. After the what was it the Jake the Snake match, and I believe Undertaker is, is shortly after that. There is a little bit of a lull, like the throwaway match with the Monty. You know, like they, every time you look at one of these WrestleManias, there's like three matches where you just look at like did these did this have to happen? Like obviously you're yeah. just filling time, but it's like did this really have to happen? This was another like 15 match WrestleMania here. So um, next category for us, what was the match that stole the show for you? The non I'm going to say the non-main event and also non-retirement match hmm. meant match that stole the show for you. I love the Bulldog match. I thought the British Bulldog match was awesome. Um, he's such a powerful dude and, and was literally roided up to his last dying days. Um, I, I thought it was great to actually see that dude in his prime because I remember him towards the end and yeah, his health wasn't great. And I know he has such a weird dynamic with the Hart family. Like I, I believe he married... Bret Hart's sister and then eventually was dating Bret Hart's ex-wife by the time he died like there's some crazy tie-ins with the with Davy Jones and the Hart family but I was I was excited to watch him actually wrestle in WrestleMania 7 when this was actually in his prime and the dude had so much swagger the dreadlocks the bulldog the muscles like he literally was your typical steroided wrestler like yeah, peak he was of good, it. man and I, I love seeing that for me, the match that stole the show, if you take away the top two matches, was the opener. It was the Rockers beating, yeah, that was really good. beating uh, the two big guys. I thought that was kind of fun. And it's also like the last big prominent Rockers match that, that we saw at WrestleMania. Uh, a couple notes here from our friend Michael McGivern, because I want to give his research a little bit of pub. You'll notice that the Ultimate Warrior, for the first time really ever, did oh, not yeah. sprint out to the ring in his intro. This is because he knew they were going to go 20 minutes. And he didn't want to uh, completely gas himself before the match started. Uh, also, Percy Pringle, Paul Bear, the manager for The Undertaker, <laughs> was Paul Bear. actually a mortician in real life before going into oh, wrestling. I don't Do you know that? think I knew that. I feel like I've been told that, but maybe I didn't retain it. Very, very. He is so freaky looking and plays it so well. Probably one of the better managers of all time. Very interesting. Uh, also, I did notice too, Jim Anvil with, uh, you know, the the heart foundation mm-hmm. that dude also for his size could move yeah like i i we obviously know Bret hart it was like best there is best there was but the anvil was you a guy that big and that large proportion should not be able to do the things he did and he was very i know brett and owen i kind of forgot about the original one the hammer the anvil you know like i i thought he was just like a throwaway wrestler no this dude was just as good as the typical heart family yeah the other Interesting nugget here, too, and that one of the tag matches in the middle, you had you had demolition with Crush and Smash because Axe was having some health problems and eventually left the company, so they were trying to find a new tag partner for demolition. So their opponents in that match were two anonymous to the United States crowd Japanese wrestlers with Mr. Fuji. Uh, Jinichiro Tenryu is one of the biggest Japanese wrestling stars of all time. The wrestling audience watching WWF's product wasn't so much into Japanese wrestling like they might be today. So they were complete fish out of water. And this guy wrestled a three-minute match. Really nothing happened in it in front of a crowd that had no idea who he was, which is 
Absolutely incredible, according to Michael. So, all right, last category here. It's actually two more to go. Definitive main event rankings. So That's we've right. taken all the main events of all the WrestleManias and we have ranked them. And right now our rankings are the number one through first through the first six WrestleManias is Warrior versus Hogan at WrestleMania six. Hogan versus Savage, WrestleMania five. Hogan versus Andre, WrestleMania three. Mostly because of the meaning, not necessarily the mechanics of a crappy match. Right. Savage versus DiBiase, WrestleMania four. Hogan and Mr. T versus Paul Orndorff and Roddy Piper at WrestleMania one. And then Hogan versus King Kong Bundy, WrestleMania 2, as the, the last one on that list. Where would you put Hogan versus Slaughter? I would probably put it 3 or 2. Really? I think, it, I think it's better than Andre. I, like you said, I know it's more of the some symbolism than it was the actual match that, that made that stand out. I thought this was very, very well done from start to finish. You got Ultimate Warrior to perform in a way he typically doesn't and is a very stubborn guy in that regard. And Macho, or excuse me, not Macho, but uh, Sergeant Slaughter and Hulk Hogan, uh, th- those, that match was much more entertaining, I thought, from start to finish. Slaughter just absolutely destroys him. And the Iraqi part of it and the American hero of it, I thought, p- played very well. Like I said, the bloody Hulk Hogan, who rallies the last minute to defeat the enemy, was also extremely symbolic. I think that was a lot better than your typical WrestleMania main events. I don't know if people would have it that high, but for me, I think it was the, it was the third best one I saw after those first two. So I'm going to make an executive decision and put it fourth. Okay. You and I are pretty close on this. I'm going to put it fourth because I can't put this match above the Andre match just for like the symbolism of it. Okay. Like the Andre match was like the pinnacle of WWF pushing into the mainstream. And this match, although I think was a better mechanical match yeah, and also had a, a convoluted, but like, decent storyline to get the fans involved anyways. People rip this storyline. Like, if fans react like that at the end of WrestleMania, it's a decent storyline. For sure. Right? Look at how many WrestleManias end with people wondering, like, what the hell, Roman Reigns? Like, <laughs> all the time right now. Ugh. So I'm going to put it fourth right here. But this was also some foreshadowing for next week's WrestleMania 8. This was sort of like coming back down the mountain of mm. Hulk Hogan's equity with the fans. People loved Hulk Hogan. And people were in, but we're now seven WrestleManias in, and Hulk Hogan is the guy in, like, basically, all, even in the one that he wasn't main eventing, WrestleMania 4, Savage versus DiBiase. Hogan influenced the match with a steel, so he was influencing or fighting in all seven WrestleMania main events at this point. And then you had an eighth, and then kind of a ninth, which we'll get to at WrestleMania 9. It's like, all right, when does this end? Where's the fresh blood? But that's all coming on WrestleMania Rewind. All right, one through ten stunners. How many stunners would you give WrestleMania seven? I would say a seven. I think it's a solid seven. I believe I gave uh, five a seven too. And I think this one in general, the pace, which is I like the most. The main event storyline was awesome. The middle cards of the Warrior and and Macho Man and Undertaker making his debut. I thought there was enough there to make this one of the better WrestleManias in the early years. Um, if these are sevens, like I'm, ex- I'm excited to what I put like WrestleMania 14 or 15 on because like those yeah. ones are just going to be like nine or tens locked in for a good stretch there. Uh, but I thought in general this was a, the better one of the better pace manias. Uh, the supporting storylines were good. The start was good. I give it a seven out of ten. I give it a seven and a half. Right. I give I think because you you had your two big pillar matches and then you had some iconic appearances: Undertaker, Legion of Doom. Texas Tornado, British Bulldog, The Rockers, like 
just like strip away some of the tag team names. Like think about just the legendary people that were involved in this WrestleMania. Shawn Michaels, Kerry Von Erich, Undertaker, Jake the Snake Roberts, Hulk Hogan, Legion of Doom, like Mr. Perfect, just up and down the card. Million Dollar Man was mm-hmm. the Million Dollar Man had we haven't even mentioned him. One of the greats of all time. And that dude is buried in a dumb feud with Virgil, right? right. And wrestles a you know, seven minute match that results in a count out. Like so for for all of those reasons, I give it a seven and a half. But there's there's gonna be a dip before it gets better. Yeah. But it's about to get awesome as we get into the later part of the nineties. Is off the top of your head, is Diesel, is Kevin Nash, is he involved in the next WrestleMania that you know of? Not yet. Not yet. He's coming up, so. though. He's got to be coming up. I, I be- love me some I, Diesel. I believe he makes his, let me think here. I think he makes his debut in WrestleMania 11. All right. As like a, maybe 10. It might be 10. Because I know he like helps Shawn Michaels. He manages Michaels. I, so I, I know that's yep. coming up soon. So I would like to see that. So a lot of those, a lot of those things are coming up here, but. That's a wrap on WrestleMania Rewind. Every single week, Declan and I do deep dives into all 35, 36 WrestleManias uh, over three and a half decades. If you like the Mackie and Judd show slash podcast, give us a five-star rating or review on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us spread the word about the show, and it helps us spread the word to potential advertisers as well. In fact, we have to, we have to wrap this episode by playing the two iconic promos. Oh, of course. From WrestleMania 7 here, Sergeant Slaughter and Hulk Hogan. Pukamaniacs out there, listen up, especially the leader of the Pukamaniacs, the ultimate slime, Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, I am the new ruler of the World Wrestling Federation. You are playing by my rules now. I am the World Wrestling Federation champion, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> And there's nothing you can't do about it. All you know is ground warfare, hand-to-hand combat, man. This is new technology. This is the Hulkster of 1991. I'm going to be the new WWF champion. And you underestimated the enemy, brother. You have no idea what kind of secret weapons, what kind of secret battle plans me and my little Hulkamaniacs have in store for you, dude.